Hi everyone, I'm Darren Nair, the creator and host of Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We're currently taking an extended break right now because I'm dealing with health issues. We will be back once I have fully recovered. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy and take care. Welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. We work to free hostages and the unjustly detained around the world. Together with their families, we share their stories every week and let you know how you can help bring them home. I'm Darren Nair and I've had the honour of campaigning with many of these families for years. These are some of the most courageous and resilient people among us. People who have never given up hope. People who will never stop working to reunite their families. And we will be right there by their side until their loved ones are back home. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's meet this week's guest. Welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. American citizen Kylie from New York has been wrongfully imprisoned in China since September 2016. The United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention has called for his immediate release. The current travel advisory for China, issued by the US State Department, has a level 3 reconsider travel rating. The first line of this US government travel advisory states the following. Reconsider travel to the People's Republic of China due to arbitrary enforcement of local laws. The following is also stated in this travel advisory. The People's Republic of China government arbitrarily enforces local laws, including by carrying out arbitrary and wrongful detentions and through the use of exit bans on US citizens and citizens of other countries without due process of law. The PRC government uses arbitrary detention and exit bans to number one, compel individuals to participate in PRC government investigations. Number two, pressure family members to return to the PRC from abroad. Number three, influence PRC authorities to resolve civil disputes in favor of PRC citizens. And number four, gain bargaining leverage over foreign governments. This last point is basically state-sponsored hostage taking, also known as hostage diplomacy. Now, that was from the current US travel advisory for China. On the 4th of November last year, a bipartisan group of 15 members of Congress wrote a letter to President of the United States, Joe Biden, urging him to bring Kylie back home to the US. The following is one of the paragraphs from that letter. We urge you to prioritize Mr. Lee's release and make every effort to secure his freedom on humanitarian grounds in order for him to safely return to his family after more than five years. Given the cruel conditions of his ongoing imprisonment and the recent release of others detained under similar circumstances, time is of the utmost importance. We had the honor of interviewing Kylie's son, Harrison Lee, in October last year. If you haven't already, please do check out this episode on your podcast app or visit pothostagediplomacy.com. We always tell the families we interview that we'll be campaigning right by their side until their loved ones come home, and we mean it. So we'll keep you up to date with their campaigns through sitrap pods like this one or breaking news pods. We're joined today once again by Kylie's son, Harrison Lee. Harrison, I'm so sorry it couldn't be under better circumstances. Welcome back 
And thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Darren, for for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to provide an update uh, on my father's situation. And uh, thank you for taking the time. You're welcome. Now, for our listeners who haven't listened to our previous episode, can you please give them a summary of what happened to your father? Of course. Um, So my father is an American citizen who has been wrongfully detained in Shanghai, China since September 2016. He is being held there on false charges of espionage and stealing state secrets. And if there was any doubt at all that these charges are indeed politically motivated and um, intended to gain bargaining leverage over foreign governments, including that of the United States, um, I would like to emphasize that my father's defense attorney, who he was only allowed to hire after more than five months under arbitrary detention, has said that the quote-unquote state secrets that he is accused of furnishing are in fact freely searchable on the internet, even behind China's Great Firewall. I think this demonstrates the lengths to which the Chinese government is willing to undertake this process of hostage diplomacy, and it needs to come to an end as soon as possible. As Darren mentioned, the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention has also ruled my father's detention to be arbitrary. The Working Group is consistent of a group of human rights experts, none of whom are from either the United States or China, and they've independently ruled based on the evidence available to them that, in fact, my father's detention is in blatant contravention of various international human rights norms, including the Universal Declaration on human rights. As most of these listeners, I'm sure, are aware, in recent weeks, Shanghai, China has imposed an extremely strict lockdown um, due to COVID-19. While millions and millions of ordinary citizens in Shanghai are suffering from the effects of this lockdown, one issue that has not been investigated yet is the plight of prisoners like my father, who are being held unjustly behind bars. The reason for this is possibly that there is just simply no information. There is very little that we have been able to get um, from either the U.S. consulate, um, who has just urged um, many of its non-essential staff to leave the city of Shanghai, if at all possible, due to the situation imposed by these lockdowns. And so I would like uh, the opportunity to uh, discuss what I do know about the situation and how the public can help and also how the U.S. government must help to release my father. Thank you for that, Harrison. As you mentioned, since we last spoke, the Chinese government has imposed one of the strictest COVID lockdowns in the world in Shanghai, which is where your father is being held. Can you just talk to us more about this, what it means for your father? Because I know his consular visits and phone calls have been cancelled as well, haven't they? Yes. Um, So, you know, the biggest change certainly is that uh, my father's one lifeline to the outside world, which are uh, three times a month, seven and a half minute phone calls uh, to his family. Those were uh, suddenly, without warning, cancelled. I mean, the only way we found out about this is... uh, After the first weekend this month, my father didn't call like he usually did. And 
we weren't sure if maybe something had come up. So uh, we, we wrote to the consulate and the consulate told us that, oh, in fact, it turns out that um, that prisoners are not being allowed to make phone calls anymore uh, in the name of, of COVID-19. And of course, that didn't sound very logical to me because uh, what danger is there from to spreading COVID-19 from making a phone call, right? And uh, so we we demanded the U.S. consulate in Shanghai to request access for uh, phone calls because, in fact, these this same phone system is the only way uh, in which consular visits uh, can be performed because in-person consular visits have been suspended uh, all the way since January 2020 um, when COVID was first discovered. Um, and the ordinary in-person 30-minute U.S. consular visits were replaced by a seven-and-a-half-minute phone call, um, voice call with no video, um, by the U.S. consulate. Um, there were a few video calls um, since January 2020, but the vast majority of them have been these, these short voice calls where um, there's a known history of prison authorities listening in on these conversations, as I discussed in, our, uh, in my last interview with with Darren. And so now without these phone calls, um, the only way that my father could possibly communicate with the outside world is through letters. And these letters are even worse than the phone calls uh, because they have routinely in the past been delayed for weeks or even two or three months at a time. The authorities have brought an arbitrary latitude to simply deny the letters either from coming in or for going out because they discussed the case no matter in how general terms or, you know, if my father uh, requests something of his government, for example, um, that would be grounds uh, for the authorities to completely censor his letters so that they never reach us. And these are not done again in a timely manner. I mean, sometimes it takes months or weeks. Um, inevitably, you know, we have to be the ones to follow up to check on the status uh, of, of these Communication, so they're 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 effectively um, useless as as forms of real uh, real communication. So that is why it is extremely horrifying to us um, that the consulate, or rather the prison authorities, um, have told the consulate that they have taken away the only way in which prisoners have access or any communications with the outside world. We are told that prisoners, including my father, um, are being confined to their cells 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These cells are tiny. They contain 12 prisoners. Um, there is no climate control. Um, and we don't know anything about the food situation. Uh, I mean, I, I've asked the consulate twice. They have not given me a response because they don't know what the food situation is other than vague assurances that no, oh, the food situation is fine. And that is certainly not reassuring to us um, given the numerous reports uh, out of Shanghai that uh, ordinary citizens are having trouble finding access to food. Um, so it, it really, really is, is frightening to think about uh, how the conditions might be in the prison. And the worst part is there is just simply no way of, of knowing. Again, I'm very sorry for your father. Um, when was the last time you spoke to him and how was he doing at the time? So my father's last call to me was uh, 
last month in March. And at the time, uh, he, he had mentioned that he, he felt ha- that his condition had stabilized a bit. He was finally feeling uh, a bit better. Um, he thinks some of the blood pressure medications and the multivitamins that he was finally being allowed to take after years of campaigning by the U.S. government um, may have had some effect. Um, but I'm afraid that this sudden lockdown these sudden changing conditions uh, will undo all that progress and make things worse because, you know, I, I, I should mention that uh, when I pressed the consulate for the second time um, about uh, asking uh, for, for phone calls, um, the response they got instead was that the phone system was broken. Uh, and of course, um, you know, it's, that's seemingly contradictory of uh, the information that we were initially provided, which is simply that the prisoners are not being uh, permitted to make phone calls due to COVID-19. Um, but the second time, the authorities also said, well, you know, while this lockdown is happening, there's going to be no way for anybody to make phone calls because we can't get anybody to fix the phone systems uh, due to the lockdown measures in place. And so you know, it's... It's distressing to, to hear that uh, for as long as, as they want, the authorities um, are being allowed to arbitrarily restrict the ability of prisoners to have any communication whatsoever uh, with the outside world, other than through these letters, which are essentially uh, as good as nothing. Um, if you can't talk about anything but the, the ordinary pleasantries, um, you can't talk about anything bad, you can't talk about anything at all related to the case or... Um, my father can't express anything about uh, getting his government to help or, or get him out. Um, so it, it's really, really a stressful situation. Um, and I urge uh, the consulate and the U.S. embassy um, in, in Beijing um, to be much more uh, forceful in advocating uh, for the rights of arbitrarily detained Americans like my father um, to at least um, be granted the ability to make. Uh, phone calls or an other effective method of communication with the outside world. So Harrison, your father was taken in 2016. It's coming up to six years now. How are you doing and how have you and your family been coping with this trauma? You know, that's, that's a very difficult question um, to, to answer and to summarize in, in a few words because this happened all of a sudden um, because my father is not someone you know who made a lot of money or who had high level political connections he was just running his own uh, one person small business which served as an independent contractor um, for spectrolab which is a subsidiary of of boeing um, he was a sales and marketing representative for spectrolab um, through the uh, for the asia pacific region um, owing to his um, his background, uh, he grew up in Shanghai, moved to the United States um, in his late 20s. Um, and so, you know, he's fluent in, in Chinese and English and understands, of course, the Chinese culture um, uh, very well, having grown up in it. Um, and I think that, that the, the sheer shock of the situation um, still hasn't fully receded, even six years later. Um my father, uh, his full-time occupation in the United States um, while he was here was to, to own and operate, um, you know, two gas stations um, on Long Island, New York, uh, where he was from. And for, for several years, uh, my mother and I were the only family um, here in the United States 
we tried our best um, to keep those businesses afloat. And my father, of course, wanted that, but it was just simply impossible um, to keep up that with the emotional toll of the situation. And of course, also all the efforts on trying to get my father out and becoming um, involuntary political advocates. Um, so it, it has been uh, extremely, extremely challenging. This is not something I would wish on uh, on my worst enemy. Um, and it's, it's frustrating. It's beyond frustrating that the situation persists and that there just doesn't seem to be, uh, any, any real movement on my, on my father's case. What is it you need the U S government to do? Yeah. So I think, uh, I'm very proud of the congressional letter that Darren mentioned, you know, that was a product of months of work, um, you know, between, uh, our family, but also, of course, various offices um, in Congress, especially Senator Schumer's office, um, who has who led the letter and has been a consistent advocate um, for my father since the beginning. Um, and that being said, you know, I, I, we never got a response to that letter, despite multiple follow-ups. And, you know, of course, we're not looking for the generic response that we've already received many times um, on previous congressional letters, which you know, comes from um, the Office of Legislative Affairs and says the statements you see in the media about uh, the safety and security of Americans detained abroad remains their highest priority, right? This is like a line that um, has, has become uh, ingrained into our head for its sheer emptiness and vacuousness, right? We, we don't need that kind of response, right? What, what we need is a response that's rooted in concrete action. And so... You know, what I'd like to tell President Biden, as stated in that letter, is that he needs to spearhead a coordinated interagency effort with a concrete plan to bring my father home. And that goes beyond the State Department, because uh, the knee-jerk response when the White House is pressed by either these letters or the media on these cases of wrongful detention is to refer the case to the State Department who then will issue one of these uh, meaningless uh, statements in the press in response. They have a you know canned response that they just slap on to every inquiry of this nature. That's not what we need. We need President Biden to actually put together, um, again, a broad interagency effort with concrete steps to, take my to bring my father home. A broad interagency effort with concrete steps to bring my father home. Um, what that might look like, well, uh, you know, one thing I can say for sure, um, in early December, um, Ambassador Jake Sullivan, who's the National Security Advisor um, to President Biden, uh, held a, a virtual conference uh, with over 20 families of Americans uh, wrongfully detained. And I have to say that was not the most, um, the most satisfying conversation. Um, they pre-screened family questions beforehand and did not mention a single word about the Americans who were wrongfully detained uh, in China. At the end of the call with the National Security Advisor, another family member of an American wrongfully detained in China raised the issue of arbitrary detention in China with him. We then pressed him on whether President Biden had raised our cases with President Xi on the phone call he had had just a few weeks prior. And the response we got was not a straight answer. And it indicated to us that the president had perhaps vaguely made reference to the issue of arbitrary detention in China 
but had not raised any of her cases by name. Now, I am told repeatedly that there is a very, very small list of high priority cases um, for Americans uh, being detained in China. Um, that list has names that could be read in a matter of two or three seconds. And yet the president still did not raise our cases by name. And that was enormously disheartening to us because, you know, we had been assured that he had seen um, the congressional letter at that point, And yet he still did not place enough priority on the humanity of these cases to even raise these cases by name and instead just sweep it under the rug as just yet another one of the many, many policy challenges facing the United States and China's bilateral relationship. And so that, of course, needs to change. Now, National Security Advisor Sullivan um, did promise all of the family members in that call that he would follow up with each of us individually. I'm aware that he has met with a couple of the families on that call, but none of the families in China have been met with. This call took place four months ago. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have to wait to have a chance to even talk with him, however briefly. But the, the action is, is, is certainly discouraging in, in terms of the demonstration that there just isn't the level of prioritization of getting my father home at the highest levels of the White House that are needed. Um, you, know, you mentioned, Darren, um, the State Department and, and SPIHA in particular, that's the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. They are a wonderful office um, headed by Roger Carstens, um, who I've had the pleasure of working with uh, since the previous administration. Um, and they're trying their best. Um, but as I said before, more needs to be done. There just needs to be a broader coordinated effort because these kinds of cases, they do take a lot of effort to resolve, but it is more, more than worth it for everybody because as long as my father remains arbitrarily detained in China, nobody can feel safe. No American can feel safe being in China because as the travel advisory states, they are going to be subject to arbitrary enforcement uh, of these local laws. I mean, they can be given harsh prison sentences for apparently um, furnishing any kind of information at all, no matter what the information is, even if it's freely available on the internet, they can retroactively declare that a state secret and then say you are spying on the Chinese government as an excuse to detain you for leverage over, over your government. And that's not something that has been reported nearly enough um, in the news media. And it's something I certainly wish the news media would report more on. I mean, there's, of course, so much um, in the U.S.-China relationship, um, especially in, in recent years. Um, but this is one of those issues that, uh, that, that, that's been amplified uh, by the tensions between the two countries and thus needs, needs to get the attention it deserves so that innocent Americans, including my father, can just return home to their families. So I've interviewed the families of, I believe, eight or nine Americans uh, held hostage or wrongfully imprisoned overseas. And you mentioned other families have had a meeting with Jake Sullivan. I know, I know Trevor Reed's family um, have met with Jake Sullivan and President Biden. 
but they they literally yes. had to go and uh, campaign at events where President Biden was to say, please meet us, please meet us. And they uh, got a lot of media coverage around this. And eventually, President Biden did meet them, which was great. But is it a matter of being the loudest voice in the room if you want to get the attention you need? Yeah, I still don't know the answer to that question. Um, but I will say this. It shouldn't take that to get a meeting with uh, with the president on this kind of an issue, right? Especially uh, in the case of my father, this is a, a wrongful detention that has spanned three administrations since the time uh, our current president, uh, Joe Biden, was actually vice president. Um, and it, it carried through the entire four years of the Trump administration. Um, and now, you know, we're entering the second year of, of President Biden's administration. And my father is, is, is still there. And, you know, all I can say is it really should not be uh, on the families to have to campaign so hard just to get a brief meeting with the people in charge who actually have the ability to make the decisions. Um, and, you know, I think the news media is certainly helpful in making it an issue that um, that these families can't ignore uh, and also that uh, the, the people in power can't ignore. But, you know, at the same time, um, there's also a unique difficulty with various different countries, especially China, in terms of the level of uh, public pressure um, to, to place um, on these sorts of cases. Um, the, the, the relationship between the United States and China is is complicated. Um, and, you know, there's, of course, a lot of private negotiations in all of these kinds of of cases and sort of the level of public versus private is, is a difficult balance for every family um, to, to weigh. But especially, I think, you know, in the case of uh, not just my father, but of course, the handful of other um, cases of arbitrary detention in, in China. And I think that's certainly part of why um, there may have been less uh, media coverage uh, on these cases than the cases of other countries. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, of course, no excuse uh, for the government uh, to to be less um, less forward on actually coming to a solution to these cases. What can journalists and the news media do to help? So as, as I mentioned, I think the biggest thing that the media can do is just to raise awareness of this case, right? Especially for those uh, those major publications, right? That uh, the people in the president's inner circle are reading on a daily basis. They just need to be reminded uh, that there are Americans, uh, including my father, unjustly suffering in China, and they have been for many, many, many years. And that has to um, that has to compete, of course, with uh, all the other geopolitical headlines that um, you know are necessary um, due to uh, the current state of the world. Um, but yeah, it, this needs to be among those those headlines. And so it, it's just a matter of um, of having people like the president being constantly reminded of, of this situation because, uh, as as the family uh, of Trevor Reed has stated, you know they felt that once they finally did get the chance to meet with the president, that he in fact uh, seemed to take a very genuine and sincere um, interest in the case. Um, you know, of course, the president is always described as an extremely compassionate person who remembers the humanity of these situations, but of course, he just has so much on his plate, and so it's uh, you know it's the responsibility 
um, of, of, of journalists um, and, and others to keep the pressure up um, on the administration to do what's right. And that is, of course, to get these wrongfully detained Americans back home. So what can the American public do to help? Yeah, so of course, the American public can help by spreading awareness. Um, the best way to do that is uh, to follow the Free Kylie campaign on Twitter. Um, the hashtag is uh, Free Kylie with uh, no spaces. That's F-R-E-E-K-A-I-L-I. Um, we also have uh, a Facebook page. Um, and uh, on these pages, as well as the website, www.freekylie.org, um, you can look for various ways you can help spread awareness, which includes uh, writing letters to your elected officials and making phone calls. So if I'm a member of the public and I'm listening to this podcast and I want to write to my representative, so a member of the House of Representatives, a senator, a governor, if I want to write to them or even to the White House itself, what are the key points you would want me to say in that message? As I mentioned before, I think the key element that is missing right now is a broad interagency effort led by the president to bring my father home, right? The case has worked its way up through the tireless advocacy of our family and many, many others, including nonprofits and members of the government, um, so that it, it does have the attention of uh, of spiha and the state department and you know certain other areas of the government but it's just not everyone uh, that's on board the u.s government is a big bureaucracy that is frustrating beyond frustrating um, to try and navigate um and the only way to really bring together all of the groups that are necessary to make any real change on this issue is to go to the very top which of course means uh, means President Biden. So I would I would urge um, urge that to be the main point of of any letter um, that you choose to write. And of course, uh, you know, feel free to um, reach out uh, via Twitter uh, or Facebook or other means um, if you have any specific questions on you know what to write it. And you know, of course, I'm more than happy um, to to share my views on this and uh, of course greatly appreciate um, your help in, in bringing my father home. Harrison, we're almost at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? I think I, I think I covered it also. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't need to. Uh... So, uh, well, that's good. Um, Harrison, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We'll be right here campaigning by your side until your father comes home. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Port Hostage Diplomacy. We're not just a podcast, we're a community. If you're on Twitter and would like to post a message of solidarity to the families or have any questions for us, please tweet it using the hashtag Port Hostage Diplomacy and we'll get back to you. If you like what we're trying to do, please do consider supporting the show financially. You can do this using the support the show link in the description of this podcast episode. We're grateful for any contributions, no matter how small. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Take care.